welcome to YE1 Spurs. In that season at 81-82, Ipswich and Liverpool, they were the huge teams then, weren't they? Yeah, huge. Liverpool were the greatest team in Europe. Again, one of the reasons we signed Ray Clemens was to bring in that winning mentality. And what a winning mentality Ray had. Um, you know, he would not suffer fools gladly. You had to do everything in your power to win. And, uh, and of course, we got the winning mentality and the belief that we could win because we won. You know, we're touching on mentality. The mentality of the players recently has been sensational. You, I felt that we were going to win everything. And then suddenly, uh, we've just dropped off that winning mentality a little bit. And of course, it's cost us three points at Liverpool and three points at um, Leicester. Mainly because... The mentality, you know, I look at the, when it was 1-1 uh, at Anfield, we had four chances to score goals. We didn't score. But in the last five minutes of the game, Liverpool showed um, what they've gained from winning Champions League and winning the Premier League. They went for the game. They went for the jugular to win the game in that last five minutes. And we never really had a chance in that last five minutes. So that's the difference between winning mentality uh, and and developing a winning winning mentality. Liverpool's has been developed through winning the Champions League and through winning the Premier League. Ours is still getting in there. And once we win and get over the line, it will be transformed. Yeah, it's that very first one. Isn't it? It's that very first one that's going to be the hardest. I'm just saying, as a songwriter, the somebody will say the hardest hit is the first one, and of course maintaining it. But you know, uh, but I'm speaking to yes. a man who. Who, who turned Liverpool over at Anfield, one of those rare occasions. <laughs> yes, I did. We did. We did. It was yeah. 73 years we hadn't won there for. Yeah, right. Since the Titanic the or something. Turned them over. Yeah. But no, he did the volley, I think. Didn't you, didn't you do <laughs> yes, the volley in Crook? Crook's got all the glory. Crook's got the glory. He followed it up and tapped it in. And um, yeah. in history, it'll say Garth Crooks, but it won't mention my volley, volley from the edge of the box into the top <laughs> corner. Yeah. It's a great volley. It was a great volley, but hey, it didn't matter. We won, we celebrated. You know, people would say, Good, why are you celebrating? It's just a league game. Well, no, hang on. We haven't won here for 73 bloody years. Yeah, <laughs> Let us definitely. enjoy the moment, you know. Um, can, I, can, I, can I just go back to the season? Just one more question on 81-82 season, yeah. which is a great season for you. I just want to ask, because obviously the, there was the Falklands War there. I just want to, you know, I just want to ask how the players cope with the issues, issues around the Falklands War with Ozzy and Ricky. Because obviously Ozzy went straight away. But Ricky stayed on a little bit. How was that for the team and the squad? That must have been quite difficult, wasn't it? Because they're friends of yours. It must have been tricky. It, it, it actually wasn't because Osvaldo and, and Ricardo are two of the, the nicest, loveliest men you will ever wish to meet. So while it was very, very tricky for them, and I know that after the semi-finals, he then flew off to... Uh, he actually didn't go to Argentina, so he says, but I thought he was going to Argentina to catch up with the Argentinian World Cup squad. And Ricky stayed, and up until the last moment was due to play in the cup final, but then felt, because of obviously the war, that he would have to pull out. So it was very disappointing, but from me, from a personal point of view, and from, I'm certain from the other players, it didn't carry any complications, nothing, because we loved them so much. But for Ozzy and Ricky, it was incredibly complicated, and, and something that uh, maybe as a youngster I didn't, I didn't quite appreciate. Um, because I thought that football was football. It wasn't. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a political animal in those days. Um, you know, it wasn't used to, to feed political uh, messages or anything. And it, so, the, 
the war going on, it, it, it never sort of interfered with football. Uh, um, not that it does today, but nowadays you, there's more messages can be passed around in football, whereas in my day, it, there was never any politics involved in football except with the chairman. Chairman <laughs> <laughs> can um, whatever like, they want. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thanks. That. So, so if we can move on to eight, a season. I mean, eighty-one, eighty-two is a great season for you. Um, winning the cup must have been fantastic. Celebrating. Uh, what, what's it like being on an open top parade bus around Spurs? You know what? I'm sure Peter and I'm sure Sim and I'm sure you had schoolboy dreams. You remember the FA Cup when we were all young? Um, yeah. Everybody dreamt of being in an FA Cup final because it was the only live TV game. So. When you know you're playing in a cup final, it's 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 a bringing together of many many things. Schoolboy dreams, number one, the dreams of your parents. Every parent dreams for their children the very very best. Whatever their children decide they want to be, their parents want you to be successful. Like no doubt with your writing and singing, Pete. Um, you know um, your parents wanted you to succeed, and, and no doubt mine did. So. Me to walk out at Wembley, see my parents in the stand looking down at me with their chests out and their heads held high with pride. That meant a lot to me. But um, then to win it uh, again was incredible. But to travel on the bus, do a tour um, from one end of Tottenham to the other end, to do the celebration dinner after the game, it's surreal. It's surreal because remember, you're young, and you've had this dream for for the, all of your life, and here it is, and it's 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 real, and you are sitting there. You've got your FA Cup winners, winners medal on you. The fans are singing and happy and joyous, and and it doesn't. It, it actually doesn't feel real. Mm. Uh, and that's probably the best way I could describe it. Nothing feels real the first time you do it. And, and while I'd been part of the year before and I did the open top and everything, and it, it, nothing till you're actually playing in the game, you, you sort of capture the, you capture exactly what it's like. It just doesn't feel real. You feel like you're watching from above, yeah. <laughs> down on this game that's going on. You're seeing yourself do good things and bad things and but it doesn't feel like you're actually there momentous momentous absolutely if i could pay everything that i own for me to experience it all again i would do it oh, that's wonderful wow. it's something we haven't seen very often you see that old <laughs> down the yeah, <laughs> i don't think there's a better feeling to foot than than that <laughs> to fulfill your schoolboy dreams you know, very few people get the chance. We all we all achieve a, an element of our dreams, but when you have an ultimate dream and you fulfil it and achieve it, I think it's so magical that it lives with you forever. Yeah. But then, Mickey, obviously, we you know that that say, that say next season is not a great. You know, we finished fourth in eighty two eighty three season. You scored one goal that season, but then we go into eighty three eighty four season, where. You know, if we can just talk about you know winning the UEFA Cup, I mean that we had some tough games on the way to that that final, and and you were absolutely influential in that run. I mean, away in, you know we had Bayern Munich, yeah. uh, we had Feyenoord. I mean, I remember I remember going to the game when the Feyenoord game when Hod when Cruyff was playing, 
and Hoddle was amazing, amazing that night. He was just God. Simple yeah, as. Yeah, he was incredible yeah, that night. The UEFA Cup was my, uh, and the final, obviously the semi-final from a personal point of view was one of my greatest nights in football. I managed to get the winner that took us to the final. From a, a club perspective and a team perspective, the the final was my greatest night ever in football. Growing up as a little boy, you never believe that these things are going to truly happen to you. You're never going to, you're never one. You're never going to believe you, you, you're going to play in an FA Cup final. But more importantly, you never believe that you're going to win a major European trophy in front of your own fans. I mean, how often has it been done that? You are winning a major European trophy and your fans at your stadium in the last kick of the game, the, the goalkeeper saves a penalty to win you the trophy. Your manager is has resigned on the same night that you win the trophy. Um, he no longer is going to be your manager. If there's ever a script being written that betters that, then I've yet to see it. And Mickey, do you, Mickey, do you feel like in in the in the the semi final, um, in the both the away and the home leg against Hadjuk Split, I mean, you scored a great goal, as you say. I mean, I think you're a bit modest in saying you scored the goal. It's a great free kick, which you which is strange. I watched it again today. You only took two steps back. It was like incredible. Um, quick, because he was the goalkeeper was one side on one side of the post, lining up, checking the wall, and the uh, ref said, "Take it." So I couldn't have a big run-up. I had to take it as quick as possible because I knew that he couldn't get across to the other side because the ref said, when you're ready, take. So he'd give me permission to take it. So it was um, ah, okay. as quick as possible. And he wasn't going to get across as long as I got it where it was where it was aimed. Um, it was going to go in. But, but you it, were under a lot of pressure, though, Nicky, on going into that game and also into the final because Hoddle wasn't planned, Ardiles wasn't planned. This really was, you know, you really dragged us through and, you know, pulled us through, obviously with the other team, you know, the other players. But did, did you feel like that? There was a lot of pressure and responsibility on you? You know what? It's strange because um, the added responsibility was something that I knew that it was up to me to run the game. Um, I was the, cr- the the creative one, the, 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 the playmaker, if you like, in both legs. And, and, and in the away leg, I had Steve Perryman playing alongside me, who was a joy to play with because... Stevie was, he wasn't a Glen Oddle or he wasn't a Ozzy Ordiles. Stevie was a fantastic footballer, but when he got the ball, bang, he gave it to you to do the creating. So it was fantastic playing with Stevie. And then Stevie was gone and the onus was on me to make the play. I have to say, you know, when people say to me, what would you consider to really be the greatest moment in your football career? And I would say that for every sportsman, that's ever played any sport. There's a moment in your life where the pressure, the pressure is at its greatest, and you can choose to go one of two ways: you can fold, or you can rise to the challenge. And I have to say that over the two legs of of the final, to look so deep within my soul to find the performances that I found makes me feel so proud, because. The pressure was at its greatest. There's no greater pressure than playing in a, a massive European Cup final against world-class footballers. And you're playing with a very relatively young team. You've got your five, Glenn Oddle, Oziard Dealers, Steve Perryman, Ray Clements, Garth Crooks, all out injured. Gary Mabbitt's playing midfield along with you, but he's, he's carrying a hernia operation. So he's only sort of 60, 65, 70% fit. 
and you sort of know that the onus is on you without putting pressure on yourself. So to search within yourself and to find your form under that sort of scrutiny and pressure, I feel it was my greatest achievement because there's many a player who's many better players than me who've, who've been played in cup finals and, and sort of frozen because it, it is, it's, as I said to you, it's surreal. Sometimes you feel like you're looking from up above down on yourself and you don't really know what's happening. To find my form at the moment that I found my form fills me with pride because, yeah, it's it's at, it's at its greatest. There's 40,000 fans egging you on and willing you to win, which brings about a pressure itself. And then you find your best form. Yeah, no, that would be my greatest moment in football. The two the two legs in the final, finding my best form to deliver the goods and win us the cup. And for 30, 36 years later, you know, whether it's, you know, just putting in a little bit more extra effort running or, you know, taking the ball in a position where you might give the ball away and you might take a few risks. You know, those are risks that you take in a moment in time. But I think it's incredible that like 36 years later, you know, you, you're reaping the rewards of that and you're able to sit here and talk about those memories. It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Well, there's, but there's just like a character in that, in that squad. I know he wasn't, he wasn't involved in the UEFA Cup final, at least, maybe in the run. But a character that I'm quite interested in, mostly because of my work. But I believe there was a Alan Brazil in the Tottenham <laughs> squad in that season, was there? Yes, there was, yes. <laughs> He's a little bit slimmer then, though. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, I imagine. Yeah, but yeah. no, Alan, Alan, you know what? Alan was massive at Ipswich Town. He was a brilliant player. And when he came to Spurs, I was, I was buzzing. I was thinking, wow, what a player. But he ne- never quite hacked it at Spurs. I don't know why, because he was a brilliant footballer, but he never—he was a brilliant player, honestly. Um, great character, as you well know. Uh, <laughs> but he was up against Archibald and Crooks. Now, what was great about Archibald and Crooks was that they were both very good players. But as a pair, they were even better. Um, and it was odd for... We had Alan Brazil and Mark Falco, who were two really top players. And actually, Mark Falco played in the final because Crooks was injured. But Archibald and Crooks was a great pairing that was hard to break through because of their the, the chemistry that the two of them had as a pair. And maybe that affected Alan a little bit. Alan was a brilliant, brilliant footballer. I think he honestly. had a lot of injury problems, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, had he retired about 27. As well. I loved the bet as well. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, he used to come in with like one... Um, He'd, he'd, he'd have lost £15,000 on the Monday or the Tuesday and on the Wednesday he'd come in and he said he'd have put fifteen grand on the bet on a bet and he'd say I won, I won what'd you win oh, I won I put a grand on a two to one I won three grand I oh, but you lost fifteen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> great character honestly absolutely love Alan Brazil brilliant footballer and I really wish that um, the Spurs fans had really seen the best of him because I saw him in training oh he was an unbelievable player Absolutely brilliant, and and people at Spurs maybe didn't get to see the very very best of him, but on his day he was phenomenal. Trust me. He he actually scored in the in the run to the final. I think against Austria Vienna. My memory's right. That's right. That's right. No, if you'd have saw Alan play or train, he was so talented. He was a brilliant centre forward, uh, and really should have been a superstar at, at Spurs. He really should have been. Yeah, we end up selling him to um, Man United. Yeah, we yeah, did. Man United as well. Curiously, yeah. So Man United signed him as well. A yeah. brilliant player, honestly. Yeah. Um, but again, he didn't fulfil his talent 
in the way that he. Sorry, I might, I might be valuing him too highly here. When I think of Alan Brazil, I think he should have been world class. It, it sounds. It sounds to me like a bit of. A, if we're going to put it in like a modern perspective, like a bit of a Fernando Torres, where maybe someone has a few injury problems, but they were incredible for someone else, and yeah, they keep yeah, getting signed. Yeah. They keep getting signed for big clubs, hoping, possibly even a bit like us with Gareth Bale, hoping that that previous form will come through again at some point. For Ipswich, it was sensational. When he arrived at Spurs in training, oh, he was unbelievable. Uh, and I really had I, massive hopes for him, being an absolute world-class superstar. And then he went to Man United and, and the same sort of thing. He, he sort of flitted in and out. And for me, it was a tragedy because he was that good a footballer. He was brilliant. Yeah, I saw, I saw a lot of him at Ipswich growing up. My dad used to take me to Ipswich a lot because I was living in Essex. He was just wonderful. Him and Mariner in that team. Muir and Tyson. Yeah, him and Paul Mariner Wonderful yeah. team. Could it be that was um, just the right fit for him? You know, sometimes it could be the yeah. right fit and it doesn't work somewhere else. I, sometimes, sometimes not just the fit on the pitch, but the fit off the pitch. Sometimes the bright light of London can lead you astray. Maybe that played yeah. a part as well because Alan was a he was a proper character, as you well know, and he loved living his life, and rightfully so. Maybe just maybe the bright lights. Had a toll on him too, but he was honestly what a talent and a great um, character as well. I loved him. I just want to about the 1984 85 season briefly. I mean, we finished third in the league and we, you know, we were a very good team that season, weren't we? We were. I should have won that season. Everton won it. We lost 2 1 to them at White Hart Lane and, and Neville Southall had an absolute storm of 10 out of 10. It's incredible, wasn't it? And I think I genuinely believe that. Uh, story about that John I'd sort of been Glenn had been injured and I'd sort of played um, lots and I'd scored quite a few goals and I was in the middle of really top form Glenn got fit and Peter Shreves left me out for the Everton game Glenn hadn't played for three months um, we were sitting top of the league I think yeah, we were. I never played against Everton in that 2-1 defeat um, which gutted me and John Chitozzi many years later did a a newspaper article, I don't know if you can remember John. John Chidozzi. Chidozzi. Yeah, I do. Yeah. A newspaper article and he said, I should have won the title. He said, but they should never have dropped Mickey Hazard. He'd been the key to why we were top. He said, and then they dropped them uh, when Glenn got fit. And um, sometimes it takes players long to rediscover your form after a long injury. Uh, but I don't think that was the case. It could have been, We could have easily lost if I'd have played as well. So... Everton were a very good side, but we should have won the title that year. We were a brilliant side. Before I forget, I'm sorry to cut you there. Um, I wanted to touch on on uh, Birkenshaw because it kind of like left the club very suddenly, and uh, and I was just going back to that Chelsea quarter final, and the, I've seen some footage where it cuts to him on the bench, and he just looks so miserable. And I mean, I mean, we're scoring some great goals. I was just, how, how was it to play for him? Keith was one of the nicest men you'll meet in football. He was a Yorkshireman, right? He was as genuine as they come. I mean, absolutely and totally genuine. He never got overexcited. As you say, when yeah, it could, I've, wow. saw, I've saw them clips when it cuts them on the bench. Yeah. I think we just scored two unbelievable flowing moves, finished with a great finish, two goals. And it cut to him on the bench and you've got Gary Brook and Mark Falkwell going, yeah, and you've got Keith going. Yeah. He's looking so you know, miserable. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they conceded a goal. Yeah. You know, but oh, he was a wonderful man. Um, preached the game the right way. Um, made some very shrewd signings. 
brought the first uh, continent, uh, the foreign players into the English game, Aussie and Ricky, then signed Archibald Crooks, Ray Clements, added that to, to Steve Perriman, Glenn Oddle, brought Chris Uton through the ranks, brought Paul Miller, Graham Roberts, Tony Galvin, myself, Mark Falkwell, Gary Brook. Um, we had a great youth set at that time. Uh, uh, and Keith was responsible for that because, in my opinion, it's every manager should oversee the youth setup sure. um, because ultimately the youth setup is going to produce players that will save you millions of pounds, but also enable you to had have more money to spend on top players to bring in to add to the youth players, and then they learn from each other the the, the big name signings, help the youngsters who've come through the setup become better players. The youngsters within the setup, they educate the big name signings on what it's like to play in the North London derby, what it's like to play for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, what it means to the you, and then it becomes they're they're more aware of what it means to be in an NLD, what it means to play for Spurs, and it works both ways. And that was what Keith was great at. He was great at um, bringing youngsters through, but also adding very very good players to the group. So 1985-86 season, yeah, we, it wasn't a great season. We finished 10th, and that was your last season of your first stint there. Sim, I believe you've got a question you want to ask to Mickey about sort of uh, after your last season. Moving to Chelsea, was that a difficult decision to make? Is that is that something that you... Was it a time there that you look back with, with fondness at Chelsea? Because you spent a, a fair few years there. We forgive you. I spent five, five years at Chelsea. Yeah. Let me touch on why I left. We, bit, we played Newcastle at White Hart Lee and in my last ever game, um, not my last ever game, but in the first spell, my last ever game for Spurs. Yeah, yeah. I was at that game, actually. I scored in a 5-1 win, celebrating in the players' lounge afterwards. Peter Shreves, who was the then manager, called me out and said, look, Mick, it's nothing to do with me. The chairman's accepted a record bid from Chelsea for you. Um, it was Chelsea's record bid. Uh, and he's accepted it, and he's set for a meeting with the then Chelsea manager, John Hollands, in a hotel on Monday, and he says that if you don't sign, then you won't play. So I was sort of left with no options. Mm. I remember that going into the, back into the players' lounge, getting my coat, storming out the players' lounge, driving, because I'd known nothing but Spurs. I'd joined from school. Uh, all I'd ever known was, was Spurs. The philosophies were my philosophies. Their beliefs were my beliefs. Driving home in anger, vowing that I'm not going to leave, not going. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. But I knew that I would have. I've just signed a four-year contract at Spurs as well, and I knew that. Wow, it could be a long time in the in the reserve. So, anyway, I went to meet John Owens on the Monday, and somehow uh, he persuaded me to join. I went to the uh, Chelsea training ground the next day on the Tuesday. Realised immediately what a mistake I'd made. I shouldn't have let him persuade me, but I did. Did I enjoy Chelsea? I enjoyed the, the adulation of the fans. The fans worshipped me. Um, they sang my name uh, week in. I didn't enjoy working with Ken Bates. Mm. I didn't enjoy the style of football that they preached. It was different. It took me six months to adapt. And, and, and also I had to pull all the defenders and say, look, don't mind you putting it up to the front boys. But if I'm on, give it to me because I can play better passes to them than you. I said, so you give me the ball and if I'm not on, then bypass me. So they learned how to play with me and I learned how to play with them. Uh, but the style was never uh, remotely like anything that I'd, I'd experienced at Spurs. Um, so the styles were different. It was a bit of a political club too. 
um, and I didn't ever want to get involved in the politics of the football club, but some for some reason I did. Uh, maybe it was because one or two run-ins with John Hollands and the fans always sided with me because they loved me. So whenever John Hollands would leave me out, they would sing my names. I mean, he once put me on the bench um, in an FA Cup game and we were 1-0 down and the fans had sang my name for the all of the first half. Then they brought me on. I, I scored the equaliser and made the winner. And then the fans just erupted and I was walking, giving it all this to the fans, you know. So it, it became very political uh, and sort of spoilt my stay there. But I will never, ever say a bad word about the club, purely because the fans treat me like I was God. The way Glenn Odell got treated Spurs was how I got treated Chelsea. So I haven't got a bad word to say about their fans. They'll always hold a place in my heart because of how they looked after me and treat me. In terms of the club itself, it was very political and I, and, and I didn't, it was things things that went on that I didn't enjoy. But I would never, ever say a bad word about them because they were my former employees and I would never criticise my former employees. The way that uh, came about just sounds so similar to so many moves that you hear about pretty much just before the, pretty much in the time before the Premier League era. Because I, I, like so many times I've heard that story of, Walking in, the chairman's accepted a bid. You're going tomorrow and stuff. I, I, I think Ian Wright. It came about that way from Palace to Arsenal, and it's, I suppose it's just well before the days of player power is basically what that boils down to. And you know what? It was like that. Um, so when I hear of players making a stand and saying, "Right, I'm not playing," I sort of get it because. You can't have it both ways as a club. You can't say you're going and you won't play unless you go and then not expect players to say, well, I'm not playing unless you let me... I'm not going to play until you let me go. So it's sort of... Understand, not understand. I don't agree with players doing it, mm. uh, but I sort of get why they do because a club can do it to players. Yeah, a four-year contract a day, that's a ransom. That's a that's a ransom right for a player. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd signed a four-year contract at Spurs in 19, I think it was 85. Uh, yeah, I was just selected for the Full England squad after the UEFA Cup final. Um, and I signed a contract uh, around about the September or October of the following season. So I'd signed, I was on a four-year contract. I could have sat there and took my money, but I, I wanted a player. You know, something when I was in a negotiations for a contract, I've got to tell you, I never negotiated. Um, they made me an offer, and if uh, that's it, I signed it. I didn't really know how to negotiate. I'd never had an upbringing negotiating, and and of course, if a club said to me, "Well, look, he's eight hundred pound a week," eight hundred pound a week was an incredible lot of money to me, and and uh, from the back street of Sunderland, I never went to experienced players and said, "Look, what can you? Should I sign this or not?" You know, when I was thirty thirty fourth playing for Spurs, I had players coming to me and saying, "Look." The club have offered me a contract. What do you think? You know, but I never did that when I was young. So if they offered me 800 quid a week, I signed 800 quid a week. I mean, I'd won the FA Cup at Spurs in 82, 82 and I signed a 400 pound a week contract. You know, I didn't even negotiate. I just signed it. And things have changed now. There's agents much more involved than there were in my day. There were towards, you could have had an agent, but I always chose not to. Um, maybe I should have. Yeah. Um, four-year contract I was more than happy to sign it. it it gave you security not that I doubted my ability but somehow 
when you sign a four-year contract, you've got work for the next four years as a professional footballer. And you can have a bad season, but it'll make you, you've got three years to have a good season to get another one. You know, so can I, can I, can I, Mickey, just go back to your England point when you talk about England? Because for me, yeah. you know, growing up, I was, I was a huge fan of you and Hoddle. You know, I was such a big fan of you that I, I really wanted to I get my dad to buy you all Asics boots at the time, and I really wanted your Asics boots. <laughs> but I just want to ask you. Those Asics boots, they, they were like a real left... No one had them. Did you, was that a massive boot deal for you, or did you just wear what you were given? No, i, I tell you what happened. When I was... Um, I think I was 19 or 18, we went on... Uh, as a club, we went on an end-of-season tour to um, uh, Japan and Australia. Uh, and we went to Japan first and played in a tournament uh, against Brazilian teams and some top teams. And, and we actually won the tournament. And our Sikhs were there and they were sort of chasing us around. And I, I came home from that too with about 30 pairs of boots and about 50 pairs of trainers. And I wasn't sponsored or had a contract with them or anything. But then when I came back home to England, broke into the team, Asics approached, Asics approached me to sign a deal with them. I remember the deal. I signed a three-year contract with Asics to wear their boots. They paid me £3,000 a year. <laughs> that was for a million pound a year. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I thought I was absolutely buzzing. I was thinking, God, my favourite boots. I get training shoes, track suits, t-shirts off of them, and three grand a year. Wow, I was absolutely buzzing. Honestly, <laughs> how excited I was. But they were unbelievably good boots. I used to always buy a pair of football boots or wear football boots that were off a size too small, right? Because I knew. If I bought my right size, which was I was only a six and a half, but if a six, if I bought a six and a half, they would stretch to a seven, and I like my boots to be like a glove on my hand. I like them to be perfect fit, so they yeah. gave me the like it was almost like it was my bare foot. It would give me the feel that I wanted in my feet when I was holding the ball. So I used to buy them like, and they'd be tight at first. But as with anything, they stretch it and they get a little bit of give and suddenly they were a perfect fit. And I absolutely loved it. In fact, in the FA Cup final, Adidas approached me. I think my contract, Adidas approached me to wear Adidas and they would pay me £500. So I thought, all right, but, but Adidas boots are too big. They come up too big on me. So what I did was I took the ASIC stripes off and painted on Adidas stripes. No. <laughs> wow. With Adidas stripes. This is, where I've gone wrong. A very Merry Christmas, listeners from the YU on Spurs team. We hope you're enjoying this Mickey Hazard Christmas trilogy and come back again on Christmas Eve to hear about the latter part of Mickey's career and also to learn more about some of the wonderful work he's doing to help very sick children. You can find out more about this on Twitter. Just visit at one Mickey Hazard on Twitter.